Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Peter Gorl, Vice President of Business Development and Client Relations for TechBlocks, a company designed to help small, medium, and enterprise companies optimize their business in the digital world. A great example of the kind of work we do is the development of self-serve portals that empower our clients' customers by giving them online access to content and information they'd ordinarily have to dig deeper for through traditional channels of inquiry and call centers. My very special guest today is Jim Moss, co-founder and CEO of Plasticity Labs in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. You know, it's truly amazing how perspective can change everything. An ex-Laurier student and entrepreneur, Jim Moss, learned this invaluable lesson back in 2009. One morning, Jim woke up unable to use his lower limbs due to a mysterious neuromuscular disease, quickly ending his professional lacrosse career. You can only imagine how challenging this would be for your average Joe, let alone a man who has played for Canada's national field and indoor lacrosse team for many years. Some say that everything happens for a reason. Although Jim was not able to return to his original level of physicality, this turning point was the start of something new. The smile epidemic, which then morphed into Plasticity Labs, based in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Peter. Oh, it's my pleasure. Jim, you know, I've given a tease, obviously, about, you know, who you are and how you came about but there's likely no one who can give your story the justice it deserves. Perhaps you'd tell the audience about your personal journey toward becoming an entrepreneur and how gratitude played a part in your personal health. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's funny. I think entrepreneurs are, are usually entrepreneurs for a long time before they find their, their path towards what's, what they're going to be known for. Uh, I actually owned a hot dog cart back when I was 16, and I used to take it to the hockey arena, and then I would play junior hockey and then rush out and have a hot dog cart in the in the parking lot so that I could earn some money so I didn't have to Impressive. have a job. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I grew up in Ontario, here in southern Ontario, playing hockey and lacrosse, um, as you know, as a lot of kids do in Canada, and uh, I played all the way up and then found my way into the professional ranks of, of hockey and then into lacrosse and played, um, as you mentioned, for Team Canada in uh, in both hockey and lacrosse. So very fortunate that way. Um, it's a lot of work and it was a lot of sacrifice, but when you get there, you really do feel fortunate for the chance to, to do what you love and get paid right. for it. And then, you know, to put on your national team's jersey is a really great moment as well. It's brilliant. And there, you know, hear the national anthem and, and be wearing the jersey. Um, but um, after about 10 years of playing professional lacrosse, my wife and I actually, we lived in Northern California in San Jose, mm-hmm. and uh, we had just moved into a new condominium, and we had a, an 18-month-old son, and we had, uh, uh, my wife was pregnant, seven and a half months pregnant with our second baby, oh, and wow. all of our family was back here in Ontario, so we had our hands full anyways. <laughs> and, I guess. Uh, 
you know, we had just moved into this new condominium and I was actually kind of done the, the heavy lifting and re- resting on the couch. And I, like you said, I woke up uh, that morning and I got up off the couch and I tried to go to the bathroom and I couldn't really feel my feet or my hands and I ended up falling on my face. Long story short, I ended up in the hospital that night and they told me that I had this rare neuromuscular um, autoimmune disease and that my immune system was eating holes in my nervous system and that it was going to take about six months or a year to relearn how to walk. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. You know, literally two days before that, I uh, I was about 30, 31 at the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I didn't work out in the gym the way that I did when I was 18 or 20 years old. I, to stay in shape and get ready for the season, I would run up the mountains in the Santa Cruz mountains. And literally just two days before that, I had run a 40-minute uphill run up in the mountains. And then here I am, you know, two days later, and I and I can't even walk myself to the bathroom. Oh. So uh, um, the way that the story kind of goes, the, the TSN turning point uh, of this whole thing was about the third day in the hospital, and I would, uh, would buzz the buzzer, and the nurse would come in and uh, helped me to get to the bathroom so I could go for a pee. <laughs> and it it was about 10 feet away, and it took about 10 minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But I was still too stubborn, you know, to pee in a cup. <laughs> so I, I would keep buzzing them and bugging them to come in and help me get to the bathroom. So about, about halfway there, she would, you know, we would stop, and she'd have a stool there for me, and we'd have a rest. And, uh, and the nurse this one day said, you know, you better get used to this. You're going to be like this for a long time. And it was still just kind of sinking in what I was dealing with, you know, and, and that it, right, this could be six months or a year before I can even really walk on my own normally again. And uh, so she said that, and it kind of got me back into the bed, focusing on that, you know, I was pretty demotivated and really Mm -hmm. starting to let this bad news sink in for what it was. Um, And then uh, later that day, strangely enough, I had to pee again. So I buzzed the buzzer, and a different nurse came through the door. And if you've ever been in the hospital, you, there could be a real spectrum of nurses that walk in no, the door from one minute to the next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this one had a whole different energy, and we went through the same process and ended up on the stool having a break in the middle of the room again. And except she said to me, don't you worry about it, sweetheart. We're going to get you back on your feet in no time. Mm-hmm. And everything about how that made me feel was different and more positive. And, you know, time is relative. Whether it was a year whether it was no time at all, um, it was very much a relative thing. And even though the earlier nurse was you know, trying to warn me and prepare me for the potential reality that I was going to face, it didn't serve me very well. Whereas the second comment, the, don't you worry about it, we're going to get you back on your feet in no time, it felt like I had a part to play in that. Mm-hmm. It made me literally think, that's right, we can do something about this. And so um, I I went back to bed and felt entirely different. And I started to look up on the Internet, uh, how can I control my mood? Because I wanted to feel the way this nurse made me feel more of the time. I'm an athlete. I know what it feels like when you're excited about a game. Right. You know, you're you're visualizing success, right? Right. All the tricks that we learn with sports psychology. Um, You're ready to forget the mistake you just made and, and quickly... Um, make the adapt the adaptations to the game style that you have to have from one shift to the next. You can't live in the past. You got to live in the future. Yes. Um, got to keep your head up, and it, that's how it made me feel. So um, what I found on the internet was uh, this concept of a gratitude journal, and it seems too simple to be 
true or to have the impact that it does, but yeah. literally it just suggests keeping track of what you're grateful for on a regular basis, you know, anywhere from uh-huh. daily to week to weekly. Yes. So I started to do that. And, uh, you know, I was grateful for little things like salt and pepper because the food wasn't very good. And <laughs> I, I was, I, I joke, I said, I was, I was grateful for banana pudding until about yeah. the third week. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I was much less grateful for banana pudding after eating it every day. But I even guess. like the fact that I was being grateful for the food, the kitchen actually heard this from the the, um, the gentleman who was delivering the food every day. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I would say thank you and tell them that I'm really grateful. And they started to send me more of the food that I liked. Oh, and interesting. So, yeah, it was really interesting. And then... It was in the States, so we were dealing with American health insurance versus Canadian where, you know, you don't get a bill when you go to the hospital. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the hospital insurance limited how much access I got to things like occupational therapy and physical therapy. Right. And so I would get five hours a week, one hour a day, Monday through Friday, and nothing right. on the weekends. But because of the attitude that I took and because I was – you know, focusing on being positive and I was using gratitude to stay positive, that started to have a positive impact on the people that I interacted with. And so they started to come after work and give me another half an hour, you know, on their own time. Wow. And then, yeah, in the third week, they started to come in on their weekends to give me an hour. So I'd get one or the other on a Saturday or a Sunday. And, you know, donating their time because we were in this together. We were going to get me back on my feet in no time. Right. And so it started to have this compounded effect. And about uh, six weeks later, I walked out of the hospital. And I was still on canes, you know, the the right. kind of arm crutches. Right, right. Uh, and I still wasn't walking perfectly, and I couldn't do a lot. But I was out of the hospital in time to go back in for the birth of our second baby. And they were pretty certain I wasn't going to. Like, they were already talking about setting up the room so that Jenny, my wife, and the baby would be in the same room with me because we were all going to be in the hospital together. Right. And that's how sure they were that I wasn't getting out early. And I walked out just a few days in, in advance and able to come back in, you know, on my own volition and when the baby was born. It's beautiful. Crazy, wow. right? Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. I yeah. can feel it. You can feel it, right? You know, I'm I'm well, you know to it's you true, right? Crescendo. Like, <laughs> you know those things matter. But yeah. they're hard to quantify per se. Yeah. But um, so we we came back to Canada. We had a huge medical bill. It ended up being hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Um, and it was just after it was 2009. So it was just after the economy crashed, and I couldn't work. I lost about 130 thousand dollars in salary. Um, wow. And my disability covered 30 thousand of it. So we moved back to Canada to be nearer to our families because we became very grateful for families and the support right. that they provide. Right. And we became grateful for OHIP Ontario Health Insurance. You know, the government um, chipping in to pay your medical bills. Yeah. But I wanted to study this because, I, you know, so many people commented on how much my mood had a part to play in this. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't go back to my lacrosse, as you had mentioned, and I couldn't right. go back to my job yet because it still recurs every once in a while. Right. And um, what I found was, so I went back to school at Laurier in, here in Kitchener-Waterloo, and um, I was studying psychology. And what I what I found was there's a title, a name for this. It's called post-traumatic growth. Hmm. And we're we're all pretty familiar with what post-traumatic stress disorder is. 
right. you know, to different degrees. But there is something that's at the other end of the scale called post-traumatic growth. And typically the hallmark of that is that, you know, a year after you've had a very traumatic event, um, if you wouldn't go back in time and change that event because you feel like you've developed so much as a result of it, mm-hmm. you're experiencing post-traumatic growth. So because of the challenge that you're facing, you know, you're learning new things. You're becoming right. better. And so you can become grateful for the challenge in an odd way. Wow. Um, where post-traumatic stress, you would definitely go back and, and erase those events if you could because right. you assume you would erase all the stress that came out of them as well. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so we researched and we found all this really great information, and there's this set of psychological traits that are really common amongst people who experience post-traumatic growth. And there's things like hope and optimism and empathy and mindfulness and resilience, obviously. Mm. And these are um, what we consider now to be psychological skills. So you can improve all of those things. You can practice gratitude. You can practice empathy. And by doing that, you can improve what we call your fluency, your psychological fluency in those traits where they become a more ever-present part of your life. Right. And uh, and that's pretty awesome. I'll it's say. Not, it's not something that you were written a prescription for when you were born and you were stuck a certain way. Yeah, right. You know, you were born a certain way. Yeah. And you can get better and you can change things and you can practice these things. And if you practice them enough, they change the way you are and how successful you are in the future. Incredible. Well, even that even that nugget right there, Jim, is worth the show because it's unbelievable. I know that, I, I know that the, there's members of the audience that are probably thinking, oh, yeah, but my case is I'm... I'm really derelict and I'm really down and out, right? Yeah. Yep. You're telling the reasons you, the reasons why that can't be them. Yeah, exactly. Well, you Incredible. know what the difference between optimism and pessimism is ultimately is that pessimism is what can't I do because of what I don't have or what I'm missing. Right. And you get focused on what you can't do or what couldn't get done. Whereas optimism is what can we do with what we have available? Well, you then, then, well, I mean, this obviously, this, this is, I can see the stepping stone now. I mean, re- reality is you've, you've now gone back to university. You've yep. gained some additional knowledge about what the hell it was you just went through and, yep. and, and how you could fix yourself. And, yep. and obviously the next move is like, how can I, how can I flip this around and share it with somebody else? And I'm, I'm guessing how that's quickly can we the get this smile people? epidemic that, that you created, right? Is yeah, that how it that was came exactly about? It. Yeah, that was it. So uh, my gratitude journal at some point, you know, I was a, I was a stay at home dad with the second baby while the first one went to school and right. I was taking university part time right. and studying psychology. And uh, there was a moment where I was pretty down in the dumps again. So it was uh-huh. February or late January and there was six feet of snow outside and I was walking on a cane and not very well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had neuropsychology exams coming up. So I was literally sitting in my office studying and uh, feeling pretty sorry for myself, you know, kind of forgetting my own lessons because that's what we do sometimes, right? right? Yeah. You don't, you don't get things and keep them forever. You, right. you get a couple of refreshers along the way that remind you how important they are. So, uh, you know, I'm sitting in my room feeling sorry for myself, and all of a sudden I hear the kids splashing around the bathtub. And 
instead of doing a private gratitude post in my journal, I uh, I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I wrote on the paper, hearing the kids in the bathtub makes me smile today. And I took cool. a picture of myself holding it up in front of my face and I put it on Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just super simple. Yeah. And next thing you know, I had strangers sending me pictures like that back to me. One oh, guy wow. said, uh, no guts, no glory. And he was great. His story was that he was really trying to work hard at, at changing his body, you know, at losing a bunch of weight and getting in shape. Right, right. And that it it was hard work, but it was worth it. And he was grateful for the chance to work on it. And a, another young girl sent um, a note that said, kissing my boyfriend. And, you know, over the next few months, we had thousands of these pictures come to us. You know, some of them really simple, like beer and wine and bacon, right? Yeah. And yeah. other really profound ones. We had one woman one day who sent one in and said, no more cancer. Wow. There's a big win. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we made it into a thing. We made it into a thing. We called it the smile epidemic because what we thought was we were sharing what we were happy for, what we were grateful for. And it seemed to have this contagious effect. So we called it the smile epidemic. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. And and it wasn't. It was across Canada, was it? Is it? Or yeah. Well, it actually went. It went over to over a hundred countries. We had submissions from over a hundred countries. Oh it was just Lord. a blog. And uh, you know, we had people who uh, traveled together for two weeks every year, and they used it as their way to communicate for the other fifty weeks of the year, where they just sent each other pictures right. about what they were grateful for. We had people that took it and used it. Um, so what we did is we had a piece of paper with a smile on it, and you right. wrote what what was making you smile, and you held it up in right. front of your face, and you took a picture. Yeah. Well, we had people who were using it at funerals, where they were writing notes about their their positive memories about the person who had passed on, right. and they were putting it in a jar so that the family could pull those out in the future and read them when they needed a boost. Oh my! Oh, that's fantastic. Like really oh, impactful. So then wow. we made it into an app. We um. We thought we needed to do something more with it, ah. and uh, we made it into an app that allowed you to do it digitally, and we basically created this um, small-scale social network that was all focused on gratitude and positivity. Incredible. We did the 30 days of happiness, because what it takes, as you know, when there's something you want to do, it's not as easy as just starting to do it. You have to build that thing into your habit, you know, Correct. build a practice Correct. of it. Yeah. So we were having people do this once a day for as many as 30 days. And they were building the practice of being more grateful. And they were mm-hmm. literally developing this psychological fitness, the skill of gratitude. Um, and it, was, it was pretty awesome. It was crazy. It, it wasn't an obvious business, but it was a thing. It was a. Yeah. There was something there. There, there was. There's something there. Uh, did you Did you think at any given time that there, you 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 try to monetize this on this domain that you that you built, or was yeah, that even actually, in your? Was the it was. Was it in your mind? It was the opposite. It, okay. it was it, for me. It was the opposite. So there was other people who were like, "Hey, you can monetize this." Yeah. And it felt to me like it would bastardize it. You know, to to, to advertise Understood. to people in this safe place where they're sharing what makes them happy. And at one right. point, there was like forty-seven hundred posts, not a single negative comment, no bullying. Right. No making like there was a there was like a mid twenty year old guy um who literally had his teddy bear still from him. He he was a little kid. And he wow. posted that and everybody said that's awesome. You know, there was no bullying, yeah. there was no negativity. Yeah. 
And so I wanted to keep it like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually, when we were first setting it up as an organization, as a business, we were going to use it as a nonprofit. Um, okay. But then it felt like, you know, then we started to look at how you fundraise as a nonprofit, mm-hmm. uh, typically. And we were yeah. taking money away from cancer projects. You know, the multiple mm-hmm. sclerosis society. Those are the kind of grants that we were competing with. Right. It didn't feel great taking money away from those things either because that was their only way to generate revenue. Correct. So um, I got talked into creating it as a for-profit business, and we mm-hmm. didn't have a monetization model, but we figured it out that we would figure it out as we went. Wow. And, yeah, so this is when the real journey starts. The business side yes. of this journey starts. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Plasticity Labs comes to the forefront, right? Yeah, so we, we got a grant, and we got a small investment, and we had about 40 grand. And I don't know if you've ever heard of South by Southwest, the big music festival down in Austin. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a big deal down there. It is a big deal, yeah. yeah my wife is a pretty uh, rock star public relations person. Mm-hmm. About 15 years, and and she's I'd about building brands. I'd have to agree with you on that. Just having yeah. interacted with her, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. So she said, uh, she came in one day and she said, "Great news! We just got accepted to speak at South by Southwest." <laughs> and she had pitched us to do a talk on the ROI of happiness. Oh boy. And so we kind of gathered up all of our gold shekels and we rented an RV and we drove our small team down there right. and we bought a booth and we took out a 20 by 10 booth in the South by Southwest marketplace. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The interactive marketplace. And we had Shaquille O'Neal come by the booth. I just shared really? it today on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and do a smile with us. But what oh, we man. also had was we built this um, mascot. Uh-huh. And I wore it. It was a big fuzzy camera with a smile on it. And everybody wanted to take their picture with it. So it was all over Twitter. <laughs> we actually were trending. Uh, we were the the top two trending subjects at South by Southwest in the first week. Yeah. Wow. And, um, but then we also had, like, we had Coca-Cola come into the booth. And we had Purina come in the booth. And we had uh, Walt Disney come in the booth. And they said... Mm-hmm. We want this in our workplaces for our employees. Wow. Yeah, and we came back, and we were so excited. We didn't know what the hell we were going to do yet. Yeah. But we knew that there was a real demand at the biggest scale to have this in the workplace. And then we set ourselves to the task of figuring out how to do that and what that looked like. Wow. Impressive. You found a need. Then actually, they yep. came and told you. I mean, the they large came and told client us the came and told you. Yeah. Wow. They actually said, That's we've already got budget incredible. for this kind of thing. We're spending money trying to do this kind of thing, you know, to to invest in our employees. Yeah. And th- they already had the hypothesis that happier employees equal happier customers. Right. That net promoter right. score would improve if right. your frontline employees were happier. And that makes sense to all of us, right? Yeah. Now, I would imagine that, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, what I was talking to, I had John on the show, John Sticks yeah. from Fibernetics, yep. you know, I, and I think he's a client of yours, actually. He uh, is, yeah, and an investor and, yeah. now. And, and, and uh, he's, he did an entire 
cultural change with his with his company that has some incredible upswings. And yeah. but I, I still think that in the audience there's people that are still gonna view this effort and I mean I hate to use these terms, but silly, not yeah. aligned with their traditional expectations or their right. consi- you know, conditioned work behavior. This yep. what's culture all about? I mean, what do you have to say to the audience members that are that are still at this stage of the game doubting the validity of, of an effort like this? Yeah, well, I used to spend a lot of time trying to convince them of it, and now I say, just sit back and watch because we're watching it work so well, and there's right. so many. I think the key word what you said there was, you know, more traditional thinking. And um, there's there's an unbelievable part of the po- population who are really bucking the traditional ways of business of doing business, right? You know, br- bringing forward the best parts, but willing to experiment to find out what could be better. You know, not just accepting the status quo, the status quo approach to to this. And um, you know, even the title "Human Resources" mm-hmm. basically speaks to the fact that. We treat our people oftentimes as assets, you know, yeah. as numbers. They're a resource right. that's available to us, and they happen head to count, be right? right? I hate that term. I hate that term, headcount. It, yeah, it just we kind of think of it as like it's the counting of people. Yeah. And so what we what we find now is tons and tons of companies where they don't have a, a chief human resources officer. They have a chief of people and culture. Right, and they know that it's people that drive their business, and that how those people feel, whether they feel respected and valuable, uh, whether they feel like they have opportunities for growth and personal development, and whether they feel like they're in alignment with the the mission and the values of the organization, mm-hmm. that that stuff matters. And right. what we're able to do is actually prove that. Right. So we yes we go in and we make those changes with our technology. And we'll compare the departments that have the greatest change and how that actually shows up in performance indicators like sales and customer service scores. Right. And so so that uh, leaders can go back to their board of directors or their senior executive teams with data and reports that show, look, when we make these investments in our people, mm-hmm. this is the output. We can we quantify happiness in the workplace yes. now. Right. right. So I don't have to spend as much time now convincing those yeah, the disbelievers, mm-hmm. um, because our clients do it for us now, which is really great. Right? They uh, they kind of shout from the rooftops. Yes. You need to care about the happiness of your people, and whether you're doing it for the purely the right reason that it's a good thing to do, or right. because you care about driving your business and you've got shareholders to keep happy, mm-hmm. both of those reasons are fine. Yeah. What we care about is that. Uh, we're trying to facilitate the happiness of the individual employees, and we don't have right. to charge them to do it. We work with the organizations um, because it's in their financial best interest to make that investment. So we accomplish yeah. our mission statement, and we do it without having to charge people to improve their happiness. Yeah. Now you're putting Jim. You're putting something into play, obviously, that might be considered an extra, or I mean, yeah. probably in some cases a distraction from the day-to-day mm-hmm. work. When you talk about your mobile app and the, the yep. fact that, you know, you've got a system now that people are going to communicate with through much like they do with Facebook or something like that, you know, yep. I mean, yeah, it's a social uh, platform. I, I mean, there are probably people who are still 
you know, regardless of how the, great the outcome is, you're saying like, you know, geez, uh, but how, what, what about performance? And, and how, how do I get people to just behave themselves at work and, and yeah, not right. be wasting their time on this app? Well, I haven't met too many people who can log eight consistent hours of perfect performance. We have a tendency <laughs> to ebb and flow a little bit more than that. Yeah. And what our um, what our statistics show is that the average um, active user uh, right. logs into our platform multiple times a day, and they average between three minutes and forty four seconds and five minutes and ten seconds a day in total. Okay. So that's okay. not very much time. No. But in that amount no. of time, we're able to find it, measure how happy they are on a daily basis. And they can go in and learn about another employee. They can see what's happening in a different office. They can see yes. where the CEO's off traveling. We had one CEO post a picture of a belly dancing event that he was at in in Qatar. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so it really connects people and they're learning. So right. instead of going to Facebook, where that time and value just goes out into the ether, they're spending three to five minutes a day inside of the workplace environment but getting a bit of a social fix and learning uh, about what's making business better, sharing best practices, finding out how what customers are saying, and we're able to measure and help them to improve their happiness uh, in those three to five minutes a day. Yeah. A light just went off in my head as I heard, as I listened to you, like, truly, clearly explain that. Because, you know, there's the there's the argument that, that you know, there are going to be people in offices wasting their time on Facebook and Twitter anyway. Yep. Right? You're actually controlling it. You're keeping it in-house, and you're developing yep. developing some kind of advocacy amongst each other too, right? That's right, yeah. So we're improving the internal uh, the mood, and we're capturing that social energy yeah. and using it to amplify the culture. Wow. As All makes sense to, it, to me. You know, spending yeah. time looking at pictures of their family or their friends. Right. Not that there's anything right. wrong with that. Yeah. But that they can learn. There's a lot you can learn by sharing things with employees. And we have a ton of people who, you know, are a little bit more introverted and right. aren't as open to share. Of course. But we yeah. know about 35% of the people who come on, they spend those three minutes and they look around and they don't, they don't necessarily leave a trail of breadcrumbs. You know, they don't right. comment and they don't interact. But you know right. what they're able to learn just by observing? Yes. And, you know, yeah. you might see somebody sharing a picture of, um, you know, the gardening team or the gardening mm-hmm. club or, so, you know, a couple of people that have started to go walking. We had right. two people who learned that they were in different departments but in the same building. And they learned that they both really love sushi. And they go out for sushi once a month now. And they're building a real relationship. Right. That and matters. obviously that relationship and the rapport that gets built it transcends to their, their work environment and yeah. and just uh, you know uh, multiplies from there, right? Well, yeah, if you think too, um, we all have tough patches at work. Yeah. And all the research that we've done and the research that we've studied shows us that during those tough patches, the people mm-hmm. who have real solid friendships at work, they right. get through those tough patches. They come out yeah. of them faster. They return to levels of high performance faster. They're more right. resilient to downswings in the economy. Mm-hmm. And that developing real friendships matter. And as you know, so many more people are working from home now and yes, working remote. Are. Yes. And yeah. so we're diluting the value of those relationships because there's less face-to-face. 
Yes. And there's less opportunity to learn about each other. There's less offhand conversations by the coffee machine. That's true. That's and true. So we're able to recreate those uh, and connect people who are sometimes really far away. Um, yeah. Even in different languages. And help them build relationships further across the organization and across time and space through this digital channel. And while we've got them there, we teach them little tricks about how to be happier, how to use wow. empathy in their communications, and how to be resilient and optimistic. Yeah. Well, I took the time, actually, to read one of your white papers. It caught my eye on your website. And yeah. one, the one that really caught my eye was gratitude at work and its impact mm. on job satisfaction. And I'll tell you, that first, that first number blew me away in the statement, only 30% of people actually express thanks to a coworker. Right. <laughs> like, are you kidding? 30%? That's nothing. Right. <laughs> and it matters. Yeah. To know that somebody's grateful for the work that you do. You know, to know that somebody's grateful. We we do these things called smile bombs once in a while. Right. And that's a that's a focused a bunch of people focusing their gratitude on somebody who might not normally feel it. We did it at Wolford Laurier University um on one of the uh the caretakers. Okay. Where all the students wrote all the things that they noticed that that caretaker does in the building but probably uh -huh. have never told them before. The bathroom's being right. cleaned. The, the floor's always being polished. Right. And, and so you just bathe this person in the, the understanding that their work matters to people. Yeah. If, you, if you find me one person that won't take more value out of the work that they do when they know that that matters to other people. I think I think we all know just even interacting with each other that when somebody says thank you to you, you kind of feel, hmm, that was kind of yeah. neat. <laughs> you know, I felt, yeah, that's I, right. know, I already felt my, my level of the confidence just went up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like people notice. Yeah. And uh, and so that's that contagious effect. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of joke around that you don't have to stimulate bitching and moaning. <laughs> and there's always stuff to complain about, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't hurt to to create a forum and to stimulate talking about the positives. There's this great yeah. activity that you can do. It's a professional development activity. It's called positive gossiping. Uh -huh. And you have a group of three people. Right. And the two people talk about the third person as if they weren't there, but they only say all the good things that they think about that person. Oh, wow. It's super fun to do because it's, it's almost awkward. Oh, well, okay. You know, and people really get into it. Yeah. And you hear the hooting and the hollering and the laughing and stuff that they've never heard that these people think, you know, are great about them. And yeah. they get to hear it. And uh, it just, you know, it's just incredible for building relationships and, and meaning. Yeah. It, it's not fluffy. Right. It's about adding meaning and value to people's experience of work. This is brilliant. Jim, what's your what's your personal and professional mission in life? I mean, given all this, I mean, I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking that a lot of things have gone through your head right now. I'm thinking like, my, he must have some design where he wants yeah. to go with this. Yeah. Well, when I um when I was a little boy, I said that I wanted to win the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh. And uh, as an adult now, I've kind of refined that where I would like to leave an impact on humanity that's worthy of winning a Nobel Peace Prize. 
And uh, so our mission statement as a company is to help a billion people to live a happier life. And wow. it's a pretty, it's a pretty, you know, big stroke to accomplish. That's huge. Yeah. Um, and we picked that number on purpose. It forces us outside of North America. Yeah. It forces us to work across cultures and to work um, the whole gamut of age ranges. So we have a project. Um, we're, we're developing a nonprofit arm. It's called the Hero Generation. We call them the workplace hero traits. That's the hope, efficacy, okay. optimism. But we think it would be great if kids showed up to their jobs with those skills instead of just math and English and science, that we teach them emotional intelligence and we teach them to be empathetic right. and to be optimistic at an early age. The kids who show up to university with the highest levels of these hero traits uh, not only are the most likely to graduate with the highest marks, they're also the least likely to experience mental health issues while they're in university. Right. So, so we're developing a, a alternative version of our technology platform for kids to be delivered in the school system that will train and reinforce um, so social and emotional intelligence, and then track their performance and help them to be happier children. Oh wow! Um, yeah. yeah, it's a pretty big. That is, yeah, I'll say, uh, but I'm sure that uh, there's uh, uh, parents and grandparents like myself out there in the audience who uh, are, you know, that that brings a that brings a nice smile to them. I'm, I'm sure yeah. of it. Well, and it you know? works. We did a we did a research study. So one of the big things with us is everything is evidence based. It's not just what we think; it's what we know. Right. So we have a team of seven PhDs, and we're growing our research team, and we spend 20% of our top line. A uh, minimum of 20%, it's actually right in our corporate documents, has to be on research. Right. And uh, we did a 21-day gratitude intervention with school-age children in 4th, 5th, and 7th grade in a, in a Catholic school board. And in 21 days, sometime across the last six weeks of the school year, we increased every measured metric of performance in every classroom, 100% of classrooms. Wow. Um, the the impact on children is unbelievable because uh, essentially what we do when we prime people to be happier is we turn down the, the likelihood of that fight or flight response activating mm-hmm. where you right. don't notice stresses, you don't perceive stresses as negative stresses. Right. You're more likely to perceive them as positive stresses because when, when, when our brain switches into that fight or flight response mode, we literally pull about 30% of the bandwidth of our prefrontal cortex offline. So you literally reduce the capacity of your brain to reach its potential. Jim, you you sound like a scientist. You've learned. You've yeah. obviously you've obviously taken in every iota that you've that I could possibly it. be on information about this subject matter. Yeah, incredible this is thing. And and we we wouldn't put ourselves as far into it if we didn't know that it it's real and that it can happen. Yeah. And it's the research that lets you sleep well at night. Wow. It's just a matter of getting that into the product and out to people who can benefit from it. That's so brilliant. And and obviously, um, uh, is the run continuing for you? I mean, you've still got interested large enterprise companies that are still still after you to come and talk to them, yeah. and help them yeah, so the, fit up. The growth yeah. is crazy, and uh, we've got a, we've got whole cities now as customers. Right. Um, We've got credit unions. We've got uh, our first real multinational uh, apparel brand. And uh, and we've started to work with them doing some research. And we'll be rolling out the product in the new year. 
But fantastic. Uh, you know, they have over 11,000 employees. Wow. So our business model is that we charge $5 per employee per month. And it's a recurring revenue model where every month they pay for a subscription that's about the cost yeah. of a, yeah. a latte. And, yeah. um, and then we provide them a ton of reporting. Um, and we're able to really help them solve problems that they didn't know happen, that exist. We were able to show a customer that an external economic event that was happening in one of the geographic regions, um, you know, fairly distant to where their home, uh, where their home base was, that these yeah. people's happiness was nosediving. And we were able to figure out why in the course of three weeks and tell them. And, uh, you know, so then it's what can we do? Well, we put them on a plane. We put the CEO and the director of HR on a plane. Right. And they went out. And they said, something's up here, and we care to find out because if we can help it, we want to help. Right, right. You know, so we can we can really help companies see into a blind spot about people that they might not be able to see. Yes, yes. And, and it's not that they don't want to do things. It's that they don't know, and they can't and do anything with what they don't qualified, know. And it's qualified data that the yeah. employer themselves are actually entering or processing through the system, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's all, so we do both quantitative and qualitative data, and then there's behavioral right. data right. and activity, you know, how many people are connected to who, who are the thought leaders in an organization, so yeah. who's, best, who's best suited to deliver messages, you know, instead of it coming from management all the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, so in a company of about 180 people, in 10 months, they answered 26,000 questions optionally. Wow. That's Incredible. a lot of data. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> so we even know, and it's all anonymized to the company. They only learn about groups and departments. They can never learn right. about individuals. Right. But we know, for example, we're dealing with one company right now. We know how their uh, French-speaking employees feel significantly different than their English-speaking employees. Yes. And we're working with them on communication yeah. strategies now to make right. their French-speaking employees feel equally as valued as their English yes. employees. See, that would, have been it, guess, that would have been guesswork previously, right? I mean, that's right. Would have, and it would be yeah. hard to get the budget Yeah. You know, to go yeah. in and say, we think this is happening and we'd like some budget to spend. But when you've right. got quantified data you know, from 670 employees, mm-hmm. and this is what the data says very clearly, it's very easy to go and get the budget that you need to, right. to attend to that issue. Well, I'm thinking of it as um, it could be uh, assessed as part and parcel of a benefits program, you know, for me. I mean, it's because it is to the benefit of the the employee, yeah, you know, on absolutely. an individual basis. And then, and then it, you know, it, it it bubbles up from there on. So, I mean, it would make yeah. sense. Uh, are, are you talking to the HR side of the business or are you actually talking to the business business? I mean, uh, we talked uh, often, so it's about 50-50. We come in yeah. through HR. Um, okay. The other place that we found real impact is with the, the very top, presidents and CEOs. Yeah, yeah. And predominantly, you know, you don't make it to the age of 30 or 40 where you haven't had some challenges in your own life. That's true. You know, yeah. lost someone to cancer, lost a parent. Yeah. Um, dealt with the sickness of yourself or a child. Right. And, and got through that. And one of the things when you get through something really difficult is you would love to help other people get through things or to get the learning from those challenges without having to experience yeah. the events themselves. 
And so we've had a really high resonance with these leaders who just care about the people and, and they know the business case and the fact that we can prove the business case, um, you know, gives them a lot of, uh, a lot of weight in suggesting that we're going to do this. We're going to act on this feeling that we have where we care about people and, and it's a differentiator in who you attract to your organization. Yes. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. So we're doing yeah. a campaign well, I, uh, where yeah. I, I think we're going to like, a marketing that says, here's 50 yeah. companies in your neighborhood right. who invest in the happiness of their employees. <laughs> yeah. And what's going to happen to their HR department? They're going to get lit up right. with high-quality people. Right. Well, I think John Sticks uh, 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 spoke to that. You know, it's like, they have they they never really need to go and advertise anymore because yeah. the people want to line up because they want to they want to work in a happy place they want to work yeah in the a pile place is deep and it's more qualified yes. than it's ever been yeah. actually for the first time we had an employee who left one company and came to another company that's using plasticity saying I'm only taking interviews from companies that are using plasticity. <laughs> now that's discriminatory. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In a new way. Yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah, yeah in a really right. good way. Yeah. Jim, I just caught the clock and I'm telling you, you know, I had a fear of this as we got going because I thought, <laughs> oh my lord, this is such an amazing topic. Your story's magnificent. I I love how it started. I love how it come it's come three hundred and sixty degrees back to the same old feeling of gratitude. Yeah. That it's our seems whole life to be that day. is the burning platform, right? Yeah. That nurse yeah. that that nurse that turned around to you and said, Oh no, we're gonna have you out of here in no time. I right. I mean that there's the nugget for me. I I That's love it. that. I love I remember that. looking at her and saying, Let's do that. Let's do that. I, I'm Let's in, right? That. As John Sticks would say, I'm in. in. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Jim, uh, before we go, uh, take a minute, if you will, and tell the audience where they can get a hold of you, where they can get a hold of your people, where they can find you, etc. your call numbers, and, uh, and uh, before we call it a day. Yeah, so uh, the website's super straightforward. It's Plasticity Labs, that's P-L-A-S. T-I-C-I-T-Y, and labs, L-A-B-S, dot com. And you can find us on Twitter, the same, at Plasticity. And you can find me, uh, my Twitter handle is uh, the Smile CEO. And uh, you can give us a call. You can call my line directly if you like. It's 226-929-6677. If you're interested in talking about happiness, I answer the phone to take that call. And uh, we would love to hear from companies and individuals. We're going to be releasing a, a new version of the platform again um, under the Smile Epidemic name where people outside of organizations can benefit from all of these things without having to pay anything. It's entirely free. Um, but we're trying to improve the happiness of a billion people, so we're going to need all the help we can get, and we really appreciate everybody's help. That is an amazing feat to undertake but i i got a sense about just about you and the way you tackle this and the way things are growing that you're going to do it that's for sure we're going to do it that's right yeah not a doubt in my mind jim thanks very much again and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon all thanks the best much for having me cheers my pleasure take care thank you for listening to this episode of journey to success radio If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.